If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Our time together this morning will be greatly helped by you following along in a copy of God's Word. If you do not have a Bible that you can call your own, uh, we have one underneath the seat in front of you or near you. We'd love for you to take that out. You can have that if you would like so that you can read the Scripture at home on your own and learn more about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm going to begin reading in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Verse 1, in just a moment, for all our guests, we're actually in a series of sermons studying this book. Um, we'd love to invite you back tonight, though, in particular for our, a study in Isaiah. Uh, if you've never been with us for our Sunday night theology, it's a time where we just block and give our attention to either large portions of Scripture or particular doctrinal issues or sometimes practical theology matters. It's a great time uh, for you to come and to, to interact and ask questions about God's Word. We'd love to see you at 5 p.m. The preacher writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us with the same authority as if Jesus Christ himself were here speaking to us today. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake." Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would help us as we turn our attention to your word. That you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of God as it has been decisively revealed in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask now that you would help us to focus Regularly, we remind ourselves that the enemy would seek to snatch the good word that we are hearing to turn our attention away from your word. But we know that your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. So we pray that you would write these eternal truths on our hearts and that you might mature us in Christ if we are Christians or that you might call us to repentance and faith if we are not. And we ask all of this in the name of our God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. One of the reasons the book of Ecclesiastes is such a hard-hitting and at times depressing book is that the preacher is preparing us to live in the world the way that it really is. This is why for the last few Sundays, we've seen the preacher looking out into the world, observing all of life that is under the sun, and finding injustice and oppression, inequality and cruelty, envy and rivalry, isolation and despair, foolishness and ignorance. He tells us the truth about the world and his observations are disheartening. Not everyone is nice or fair. Some people or institutions empowered or designed to protect us do the opposite. Many people are melancholic and lonely. Being old doesn't necessarily mean you're wise. Sometimes it means you've been ignorant longer. What are we to do? 
And how is a Christian to live in a world like this? Worship. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, the preacher shifts from the world and observations of it to God and his house as the solution to all of the problems that he has been revealing to us from chapter 3, verse 16 to chapter 4, verse 16. And in so doing, actually tells us the same thing that Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. But if we're honest, we all know what it's like to experience the kind of fragmentation that Jesus and the preacher is warning against. Sometimes everything looks grand on the outside. We're always where we're meant to be and on time, ready to go, always rightly aligned and playing our part. But at the very core of our being, we know that love for God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is absent. We feel dry, God appears distant, and a real relationship with him seems out of reach, if not impossible. So what are we to do? The preacher tells us two things. Hear God and fear God. Two points, each with two subpoints, will frame our time together this morning. So I think that's like six points. Notice first, hear God. Look again in verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words." Before giving us the solution, the preacher actually tells us where to go, verse 1, the house of God, and how to approach the place of public worship, which just so happens to be the first subpoint for all the note takers. Guard your steps. Why do we need to guard our steps? Because fools run amok in the house of God. They're mentioned three times in our passage, verse 1. Fools offer sacrifices in the house of God. Verse three, fools speak too much in the house of God. Verse four, fools make vows in the house of God they have no intention to keep. Foolery loves religious ritual. Liturgy, not the Lord. Deeds, not the deliverer. Speech, not the savior. It is a religion of the unstoppable mouth having little tolerance for quiet, but God is not impressed with its incessant chatter. It hastily makes all kinds of promises and pledges, oaths and vows, without the intention to fulfill them or to keep them. So the preacher gives us a profound piece of advice. Guard your steps or approach reverently. But how are we to guard our steps or approach God reverently? The preacher explains in the very next sentence of verse 1. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. The orientation of a worshiper who knows how to make their way through the world starts here for the book of Ecclesiastes. Reverent listening. A respect for God that is listening to God because the ear of the Christian is their primary sense organ which might sound a little strange to all of us because we know how to read and we ask you to open your Bibles, but that is a relatively new development in Christian history 
for the most part, the Christian faith has been an oral and aural faith. The preacher's point is very simple. We should come to God's house, first of all, to listen to what God has to say to us. We see this all throughout the Bible. Many times God told the people of Israel to hear or to listen to what he had said. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 10. The Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. Deuteronomy chapter five, verse one. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, hear, O Israel, the statutes and rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse three. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Deuteronomy six, four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 9, 1. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess the nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 3. Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Deuteronomy 27, verse 9. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, keep silence and hear, O Israel, this day that you have become the people of the Lord your God. But that is not simply an Old Testament concept or an imperative for the old covenant people of God. In the New Testament, Jesus tells his church, the restored Israel, repeatedly. Matthew chapter 11, verse 15. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Matthew chapter 13, verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. John chapter 8, verse 47. Whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Revelation chapter two, verse seven, 11, 17, 29, chapter three, verse six, 13, and 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Paul tells us faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Christ. And James admonishes us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Brothers and sisters, when we come to the house of God, we should come first of all to listen, not merely individually. So often we think of our Christian faith only individually and personally. I personally need something so that I can be better this week. But corporately we gather to listen. Listening is our main spiritual discipline as a local church. This is why we begin our service with a full minute of silence before we listen to God's word call us to worship. It prepares us to hear what God has to say to us through his word as we read it aloud together and listen to it preached together. This is why we begin each sermon by encouraging you to turn to the text the preacher is preaching from and to keep the Bible open while he is preaching to help you listen to God speak from God's word. And this is why we end our service with the benediction from God's word. God has the last word to us each and every week as we leave this place, preparing us to enter a world rejecting or ignoring God's voice. The preacher calls us to reverent listening because we want to speak more than we want to listen, which brings us to our second subpoint: Be not rash with your mouth, verse two. Be not rash with your mouth, 
nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Why does the preacher caution us to be restrained in our speaking before God in God's house? Verse two, God is in heaven and we are on earth. The preacher wants us to be remember and to be mindful of the infinite distance that exists between God and us. God is not one of our peers. Jesus is not our homeboy. God is far above us. He is superior to us. He is triune, creator, king, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, transcendent, eternal, everlasting, unchanging. So we should control our tongue when we meet with Almighty God in his house because we are mere creatures and finite. We show our reverence for God and wisdom for ourselves when we are not quick to speak. As the old adage says, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Rather than being rash with our words, because God is in heaven, our words should be few, the preacher tells us. Jesus also tells us that our words should be few in the Sermon on the Mount when he says this in chapter six, verse seven and eight. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then Jesus immediately says in verse nine, pray then like this, our father in heaven. Like the preacher, Jesus reminds us that God is in heaven and we are on earth, so out of reverence for almighty God, our words should be few. But Jesus helps us see that our words actually can be few because we are praying to our Father in heaven. And your Father, Jesus says, knows what you need before you ask him. Brothers and sisters, is God your Father? And how would you know? In his first letter, the apostle John says, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, he, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. Who, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard in the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's spirit-anointed Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, the Deliverer, the fulfillment of all of God's covenantal promises, the heir of David's throne, the inheritor of Abraham's inheritance, truly God and truly man, the firstborn from the dead by his resurrection from the dead, your personal substitute on the cross, then by faith in this Christ, God is your father. And brothers and sisters, the reason that that is such a wonderful truth for us is if he is your father, then he takes notice of your life and he hears your prayers. Prayers of repentance, prayers for forgiveness, prayers for children, prayers for reconciliation, 
Prayers for healing. Prayers for wisdom. Prayers when hurting. Prayers when lonely. Prayers of thankfulness. Prayers of lament. Prayers for strength. Prayers for endurance. He hears these prayers and prayers like these because your heavenly Father cares for you. Brothers and sisters, so often we walk through this world day in and day out and we never stop to remind ourselves that by virtue of our faith in Christ, that our God loves us, that our God cares for us, that our God notices us, and that our God hears us. And if he is not your father today, he can be. And John has told you how he can become your father. I read it a moment ago. 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. Whoever confesses Jesus to be Lord and believes that God has raised him from the dead will be saved. Will you confess that now? And confessing that, ask God to forgive you of all of your sins against him and against others. Asking him to be Lord of absolutely every area of your life. Asking God to make Jesus' life your life and Jesus' death your death and Jesus' resurrection your resurrection. Friends, if you do, John has told you the promise God has made to all of his children in Christ. This is the promise that he has made to us. Eternal life. Life, not death. Mercy, not judgment. Hope, not hell. Will you receive life and mercy and hope and peace and joy by turning to God in Christ? Brothers and sisters, you can do that right now. You can confess Christ now and be born again by the Spirit of Christ. And if you have further questions about what that means, we would love to minister the gospel to you. I'll be standing at the tunnel after the service. We would love to open the Bible with you and teach you more about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Please come and speak with us. The Bible assures us if we come to him, if we believe upon him, if we trust in him, he will never, no never cast you out. As the preacher contrasted drawing near to listen with the sacrifice offered by fools, so now he contrasts the advice, let your words be few with the fool's many words. Verse three, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. As many concerns will lead to dreams, so a fool's voice will lead to many words, but the preacher tells us that we should not be fools as we worship in the house of almighty God. Because we should come to listen and do business with the living God. Hear God. Notice second, fear God. Look in verse four. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. 
Fools talk too much, and fools make promises they have no intention to keep. Once again, the preacher's point is incredibly simple. If you make a vow or a promise or an oath or a pledge to God, fulfill it for verse four, God has no pleasure in fools. The preacher evokes the words of Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 through 22. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. There is no sin in not vowing or not making a promise or not making an oath or not taking a pledge, but one must do what one has promised. Brothers and sisters, if you call yourself a Christian, are you the type of person who keeps your promises? Do the people around you depend upon your word? Do they receive it without questioning it? A vow is usually a conditional promise made to God. If God would do something for the worshiper, the worshiper would then do something for God. Probably the most famous example in the Old Testament comes from the lips of the barren Hannah. So we find in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And when God answered her prayer with the conception and birth of Samuel, she kept her vow by bringing him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh so that as long as he lived, he was lent to the Lord. It's famous, not simply because of how raw her prayer is. It is when we go back and read that. For anyone who has struggled like Hannah, we see how raw the emotions are. It's famous, not simply because of how awesome God's answer to prayer is. It is. God heard the prayer of his child, and he answered that prayer decisively. It is awesome because she actually kept her oath to the Lord. Because it's so often the case for so many of us, many worshipers are tempted to not fulfill their promise to God when God hears their prayer and does what they have begged him for day in and day out. Brothers and sisters, this should cause us to consider all of the private promises so many of us have made to God. Lord, if you will heal me, I will. God, if you preserve my job, I will. Father, if you would only save my child, I will. I'm in a really tight corner right now, God, in a very difficult spot, but I promise if you get me out of this unscathed, I will. God, if you would just give me fill in the blank, I will. Have you lied to the Lord? Have you made a promise to the Lord that you have not kept and now have no intention of keeping? The preacher warns 
Pay what you vow, which is our next subpoint in verse five. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. The preacher's words evoke one of the most famous examples in the New Testament. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter five. Careful readers begin to think of other places that sound like this passage. Acts chapter five. We'll begin reading in verse one. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose up and wrapped him up and carried him and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Ananias and Sapphira vowed that they would give the proceeds from the sale of their property to the church for distribution to the needy. That was their choice. They could do it. They made a decision and they made a promise. But they secretly kept some of those proceeds for themselves even though they had made that promise. And for lying to God, both of them were punished with death. But if that isn't startling enough and clear enough for us, Jesus simplified matters in the Sermon on the Mount when he taught Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Vows, oaths, promises, pledges, swearing, All exist because we are an untruthful people. No lie. This is what happened. True fact. This is what we did. I promise she said that. So Jesus says, don't make them, just be honest. And in so doing, bridge the gap that exists between all of the words flooding out of our mouths and the reality of our lives. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if you have ever paused to consider 
that gap in light of all of the promises we still make to God in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just even reflecting on this this week was mind-boggling to me. When we marry, we promise before God and the assembled witnesses to live together as husband and wife till death do us part. To be a member of this church, we promise to fulfill the church covenant that every single member of this church has signed. And for many of us, our signatures are on the wall in the foyer. In our congregation, when we set apart elders, they take vows before the congregation, promising that they will fulfill their calling faithfully among us. Each week during the confessional reading, we promise that the truths that we say aloud together are the truths that we personally believe. We believe the blessings of salvation are made free to all by the gospel. And in a surprising number of our hymns and songs, we make promises to God. Just think of a few of the songs today. I will wait for you. I will wait for you. Through the storm and through the night. I will wait for you. Yes, surely wait for you. For your love is my delight. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my life and I will be ever only all for thee. Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. All I need and trust. All I need, all I trust is the deep, deep love of Jesus. Let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. The preacher's point is simple. We must keep these promises if we are to worship God with reverence or verse two, we will be like those who offer the sacrifice of fools and do not know that they are doing evil. His admonition is so serious that he reinforces it with our final subpoint. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Verse six. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? The preacher seems to have in mind the type of person who does not follow through on what they have promised only to claim that it was a mistake or shouldn't really have been taken seriously or obviously was an accident or was merely a formality. Did they or do you really think that God does not notice or care or that he is unable to see through the lie? As one preacher said, God will punish people for not fulfilling their vows and he will punish them for coming up with lame excuses. The preacher concludes with another proverb and final command in verse seven. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. As with many dreams, there are vanities, that is, they're empty, they're pointless. So, With a multitude of words, we find something that is often empty or pointless. Friends, our worship as the people of Christ Church Westchester can be without substance, no no matter how doctrinally laden the entirety of our service is, if they are merely empty words. So the preacher says, God 
is the one you must fear. Why should we fear God? The book of Hebrews tells us the reason that we should fear God is because he is the living God. Fearing God is the beginning of a life that is pleasing and reverent worship. The preacher has been telling us for the last several chapters as he looks out on life's landscape and he is looking for an answer of how to gain, how to benefit, how to profit. He sees all of it. He's done so much of it. And he sees vanity after vanity after vanity. And there's this refrain, all is vanity. And in the midst of all of that vanity, he inserts this phrase and says, but fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is juxtaposed with all of the vanities of life. Everything else is pointless and meaningless and has no eternal significance apart from its right context in fearing the Lord. Friends, we should worship God in his house with reverence because reverence for God will cause us to guard our steps when we go into the house of God. Reverence for God will cause us not to be rash with our mouth and just sing because we're supposed to or say the confessional reading because we're supposed to. Reverence for God will cause us not to delay in fulfilling the promises that we have made to God. Reverence for God will cause us to not come up with lame excuses for all of the reasons that we're not fulfilling our promises to God. Reverence for God will make our worship truly awesome worship. Some concluding questions and applications in no particular order. I think there are eight of them. The preacher reminds us, God is in heaven and we are to fear God. So why is it so easy to lose this perspective and that attitude? We are to remember that God is in heaven and we are to fear God. Why is it so easy to lose this perspective and that attitude? Can you think of a change that you need to make this week with your speech so that your speech is more honoring to God? Can you think of just one type of change that you need to make this week so that your speech is more honoring to God? Third, reading scripture is not the same as listening to God. Because as we all know, you can read scripture and never listen to what it has to say. That is why there is this disconnect between all of the things we know to be true and how we actually live our lives. As one pastor pointed out, the intent of reading scripture among people of faith is to extend the range of our listening to God who reveals himself in his word and to become acquainted with the ways in which he has spoken in various times and places along with the ways people have responded when he speaks. So just because you read scripture doesn't mean that you're listening to God. Listening to God means that you have read scripture and you do what God has said. Fourth, in order to prepare to listen congregationally, in order to prepare to listen better congregationally, here's just a few things I thought of. Go to bed and get a good night's sleep on Saturday. Pray for the upcoming Sunday service. 
Get one of the sermon cards that are at the Connection Center and at the table right through the tunnel there and read the passage that is to be preached and jot down some notes concerning what you think might be said. Take that sermon card and read it with family and friends in preparation for the Sunday service. Fifth, there is a danger in civil religion, a religion that does not hear God or fear God, that actually just co-ops God to one's cause but does not take him seriously. The type of religion the preacher has in view here, someone who can go through the motions of doing religious things but does not really hear God or fear God. Sixth, quantity of church talk, says the guy who spoke for about 45 minutes, or religious activity does not mean someone is listening to God or fears God. Quantity of church talk or religious activity does not mean that someone is listening to God or fears God. Seventh, I have a free copy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, for the first person who comes and gets it from me after the service. It is a great book on living life together as a local church. Eighth, letting our words be few does not mean that God does not want to hear your prayers. Perhaps the best way that we can come to God with words is to meditate on his words and to let them inform our prayers before we bring our wants and our needs to him, reminding ourselves from his word of the great gift God has given us in Christ. Brothers and sisters, God delights to hear your prayers, but he doesn't hear your prayers because you pray them so many times or with so many words or because you're very eloquent. In fact, I know that some of you would rather stand before a firing squad than to be ever asked to pray a prayer publicly before the congregation. God doesn't hear people because they have many words or they have eloquent words or they can string words together or they pray a long time. He hears the prayers of his children simply because they are his children. He has an ear for your voice. One of the things that any parent will tell you in here is that you have an ear for your kid's voice. It is unbelievable. They will be seven rooms over behind brick walls, and you will hear them, and you will just take off running. You will hear a multitude of kids destroying one another and ruining everything, but one of them will cry, and you know, that's Abigail. That was Charlotte. You know exactly which kid it is. You have an ear for their voice. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is true for you. God has an ear for your voice. So when you go to him in those moments and you share in the privacy of prayer things that perhaps you have not yet shared with anybody and we would encourage you to share with us, know that your heavenly father has an ear for your voice. He loves to hear the prayers of his people. He longs to help you in your brokenness. He comes alongside you in your fight with sin. He cares about your sadnesses and your sorrows. He wants you to pour out before him all of the longings of your heart and know that even when he might not answer that prayer the way that you wish that he would, 
that he still loves you, that he still cares for you, that he longs to comfort you. This is why the Apostle Paul tells us, when in the midst of affliction himself, God comforts us in all of our affliction. What does affliction do? It teaches us to pray. So many of you who have experienced affliction in this room have learned nearness to God in your affliction, not in your prosperity, but in your sadness and sorrows and afflictions. As we think of prayer, let's turn to him now. Father, we thank you that you hear our prayers. And we ask that you would help us to come to you boldly. Boldly in repentance, even for the believers here, asking, Father, that you would drive us into deeper repentance this week, deeper faith. Help us to see how our sins estrange us from you, how our sins grieve you how our sins make you sad, how our sins have been greatly forgiven in Christ, how you do not hold them against us. And Father, for those of us who are not believers, how our sins have radically separated us from you and there is no hope for us apart from repentance from it. Father, help us to come before you boldly, hearing what you are saying to us from your word, listening so that we might live lives that fear you, recognizing that though you are the eternal, omnipotent, everlasting, living God, the consuming fire, you have drawn near to us in the person of Christ and you sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. Help us to fear you and know that, oh, that you could destroy us. You have chosen to save us by repentance and faith. God, we pray that you would make our worship collectively as a people truly awesome. That you would help us to take the focus off of ourself, put all of the focus on you and sing together and pray together and confess together and listen together and encourage one another as we see the eternal day of God drawing near. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen.